every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and for the past two and a half years, I've been joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia to watch, re-watch, and discuss every episode of the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, it took forever, but we're finally here. It's all been leading up to this, the final farewell, the series finale chosen. Um... In the past 63 episodes of this podcast, I've welcomed 27 unique guests uh, assembled tonight to share their thoughts on this landmark moment in televisual history. Are three of those guests sort of the conversations with dead people's super friends, I guess? Um, <laughs> author, blogger, fan scholar, or is that scholar fan? And the very first guest on the pilot episode of Conversations with Dead People, Nikki Stafford. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a minute. It has been. Um, in the number two chair, professor, author, and the guest with the most number of visits to our graveyard, Elizabeth Rambo. What? Yeah, you're number one. <laughs> you're at the top Amazing. of the charts. Welcome back. Thanks. Last and most definitely least, layabout, <laughs> scoundrel, and thrice-cursed reason this entire podcast even exists, Arlo Wiley. Howdy. Always <laughs> proud to be a, a pox on your house, Paul. Yes, yes. Thank you for thank you for plaguing us tonight, Arlo. Anytime. Um, so how is everybody doing? Well, you know. Uh, okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Happy International Podcast Day. How about that? Hey. Yay. Oh, look at that. That's yeah. Great. This won't be out on Please. International Podcast Day, but we're recording it on International <laughs> Podcast Day. Well, it's, it's nice to... Uh, see people uh it's nice to see nikki again after i know it's been ages yeah <laughs> all right so tonight just one episode we're just covering one episode so this should be easy however it is the finale i'm sure we're all going to have plenty of things to say and i've been i've spent the majority of this podcast project teasing some controversial opinion that i have about the series finale i'm sure most listeners have already figured out what it is but we get, as promised, we get to reveal that tonight. So let me throw out the spoiler warning in case for some weird reason, this is the first time anyone's listening to the podcast. Uh, Conversations <laughs> with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth, well, of this last episode, in depth, and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers, all the spoilers for the entire series. So... If you have not already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and ideally Angel the Series all the way through at least once, um, I recommend, I strongly recommend you push pause, go do that and come find us when you're ready. 
Um, with all of that, the final bit of Buffy-related spoiler business out of the way. If my gang is ready, let's go to work. Let's go. All right. So, Chosen, who wants to be the first to say some words about the series finale? Who wants to be the first? first. That's, that's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, no. Anybody? Well, all right, Nikki, well, let's start I, with you. I, 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 I was gonna, just going to say I'm probably the only one who didn't watch it first run. So I'll just throw that out there. Oh. Di- okay. Nikki, Elizabeth, you guys watched it on first run, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. I had a big finale party. There oh, were people man. there. So did I. Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I had a finale party, but I did watch it first run. All right. I watched it yep. on FX. Oh, man. Arlo, why were you so late to the party? <laughs> I was a child. You were a child. <laughs> All right. Well, Arlo, okay, let's start with you then. So what are your thoughts on chosen um well i'll start with what i was telling you before uh before nikki and elizabeth got here uh sfx magazine has chosen ranked as the eighth best episode of buffy the vampire slayer which is unfathomable to me that is so way 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 too high (laughs) so 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 much too high um i do not think it is a bad episode um especially given that season seven is not a this is the first episode of the season that i've joined you yeah uh, for season seven uh i am not particularly fond of season seven uh it has its it has its moments it also has a lot of moments that are not great um in the context of of the season i think it's a it's a pretty good episode i also I, i also don't love it i think it shows uh joss whedon uh, it shows many of his strengths and also a lot of his weaknesses. Um, but I, I do, overall, I like it. All right. Next. Who's next? <laughs> um, well, uh, I don't, Nikki and I have both written about this episode. So yeah. <laughs> we have things to say, I'm sure. Um, do, uh, Elizabeth, do you agree that eighth best episode is ranking it too high or do you think it's not high enough you know i'm really not a fan of ranking things so good deal neither am i opinion on that (laughs) um i do think it's a good uh series finale um i think it wraps up things generally in a satisfactory way um and i know think there are controversial things about it um, for for Nikki's rewatch, I dug up my what I wrote for that, and uh, and uh, even for that, I went back to what I wrote on when it originally aired, and it was controversial then. A lot of people didn't like it. Okay, you you were referring to Nikki Stafford's great Buffy rewatch archive, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I will link to but, that in the show notes. You know, nothing is ever going to be perfect. Everybody has things that they want to happen at the end of a series. You know, I just hate to think what's going to happen when Supernatural ends. <laughs> a lot of people are going to be irate about something. Well, now that's been but, going for like 30 seasons or something at this point. I was going to say it's at least twice <laughs> as long as Buffy. Yeah. So people are probably going to be even more enraged. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Um, um, Nikki, what about you? But, oh, I'm sorry, liked, Elizabeth. You liked that's it? That's okay. Yeah, overall. Okay. Um, I remember being at the finale party and I remember sitting and I was sitting back from everyone so that I could watch faces while I was like watching their reactions while I was also watching the show because I at the time I was very engaged as a fan and I was on the posting boards and I was you know doing that and I think I might have been working on I can't remember if I was actually working on an edition of bite me and and so that I was right I don't think so I think I was actually writing about season seven the following year um but I knew I was going to eventually be writing about it and because I was so active in the posting boards I had seen and I think anyone watching it live at the time will remember this terrible thing happening but the WB <laughs> um ruined the finale for me by yep. running an ad. I think it was either that morning or the day before um, yes. announcing that Spike was going to be on the next season of Angel. Yeah. And so I watched the, the people in the room sobbing during the scene of Spike's beautiful sacrifice. And I should have been doing that too. It would have been a beautiful ending if I hadn't known that bit of information, but that was the WB, in my opinion, being extremely spiteful. Oh yeah, because he had taken Buffy to UPN at that time, mm -hmm. and uh, and that was them going after it and and basically taking the wind out of the sails of the show. And for me, that is that moment is just ah. I wish I hadn't known that. I wish I could have watched it without that knowledge. I think it would have been a beautiful finale if I had. Unfortunately, I'm with Arlo. I don't think it even, I'm not a big ranker either. Um, Beth, I, I think that I, I don't like when people do that. I think that's silly <laughs> because we all have our own opinions. But for myself personally, it probably wouldn't even be in my top 25. Like I, it's a good episode, Yeah. but I'm not thrilled with it as a finale. The Angel finale, I think, is close to perfect, but I don't think that uh, Chosen doesn't rank up there with me. There are things I love about Chosen, don't get me wrong, but the Spike thing should have been extraordinary, and it wasn't for me. So it's funny. So I, I obviously was not watching it first run, but I don't think FX was too terribly far behind. I think they showed it the next year. Oh, yeah. Um, and our uh back when you know tv guide was like the little reader's digest size thing mm -hmm. or you know we we got tv guide every week and they had a, a cover story with spike and angel on it so when i eventually got to chosen you know several months after that and it got to spike's big scene i was so confused <laughs> uh, I, I would have been a, a teenager at that point and i was just like what what, what is what is this? <laughs> I, I was more mystified than anything else. It's a very powerful moment, but I was, yeah, I was, right. yeah, I was a little deflated. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I echo all of those, including the being disappointed that the WB ruined the whole Spike thing, because Spike, mm -hmm. damn it, was my boy through the whole series. And that should have been a beautiful That ending. moment should have yeah. destroyed me. And it didn't. Yeah. So I guess I, um, I I guess I should thank the WB for saving my life. But uh, <laughs> I also don't like ranking things. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, eight is too high. Uh, Nikki, like you, I don't think it would make my top twenty-five. I I will say that um, I acknowledge that endings are hard. Um, 
it's it's difficult especially when something has such a rabid like fan base it's impossible to make everybody happy mm. i do however maintain um i don't want elizabeth to feel like she's overwhelmed here because i know she's a big fan of six and seven she wrote the she uh. contributed to the book <laughs> on season six and seven but um i i have not been a huge fan of season seven um mostly because i feel like it's been it felt rushed and overstuffed and any one of the plot lines that they had going could have been the main a plot for the entire season but instead they all got bunched together um so yeah correct me if i'm wrong and i i may be wrong but at the very beginning of season seven they still were not aware they, they still had not made the decision to end the show right it wasn't until part way through no they the knew Oh, they knew going in. Okay, yeah. then I then I I do not have a. Yeah. I, I'm not giving them an excuse then. <laughs> <laughs> There's no excuse. Um. Um. Well, they knew, but also I think Sarah Michelle Geller announced that she would definitely not be back about halfway through. Isn't that? I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. I remember the big Entertainment Weekly cover story. Yeah. I've still got that issue somewhere. So, wow. I think there was a pos. There could have been a possibility that they would renew, but. Season six and seven was, that was the package. If they wanted to renew, it would be renegotiating another deal. So, right. right. No. I also, um, where did I just read this? This might have been in your book, Nikki. Um, something about the, the UPN or whatever, when they, uh, they had renewed for 22 episodes and, so they wanted to make the finale like a, a two hour special, but they couldn't because they had only renewed for 22 right. episodes. And so there was like Joss had two episodes worth of material that he wanted to put into chosen and he couldn't make it or he had to find a way to make it fit. Right. Which I mean, was very similar to what happened with Angel because, you know, he wanted that. I'm pretty sure to go to season six. And then when it got canceled, he had this whole Blackthorn, you know, thing that was supposed to right. happen for the following season. He had to kind of cram it all of a sudden in the mm -hmm. second half. So poor Joss and his unfortunate <laughs> television experiences across the board. But, right. Um, but this. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, I will say that unlike a lot of fans at the time and even now, I agree with uh, Beth. I, I'm a big fan of season six and seven, and I love both of them. And I was thrilled when uh, when Beth brought out the book on it. And uh, still, by the way, Thanks. I think the best title of any Buffy <laughs> I mean, Buffy Goes Dark is such a great title that, you know, not only talks about how dark the show really got, because it was not a fun little high school show anymore the fact that you know it went dark but um but i am a big fan my husband i mean he we watched the whole thing right from right from the get-go and we thought season six was spectacular i know a lot of people didn't i found season seven was absolutely riveting as it was happening it doesn't hold up so much on rewatches <laughs> that's what i find because when you know where it's gonna go yeah it doesn't yeah. hold up so much on rewatches whereas season two and three i mean they're amazing no matter when you're watching it's just yeah. so those two are just perfect but um but yeah i still so there are a lot there are a lot of things i love about chosen and so i will say that it's just not one of my faves 
All right. Well, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think I'll I'll agree with you, Nikki, in that I, I the first time I watched season seven, I was absolutely riveted by it, and uh, you know, I, I I've seen the whole season through a few times, but it wasn't until uh, my wife was going through the show for the first time a few years ago uh, when she got to season seven, I. I had always had this high opinion of season seven. You know, I'd always defended it and watching my wife watch it. I was like, this is really not that great. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's really good at the beginning. The first four I episodes think, of season seven, I thought were great. Yeah. Well, and, then, good. Yeah. and then the, the episode, um, the episode that this podcast gets its name from conversation yeah, with dead people is, with is dead one people. of my all time favorites. Deller, yeah. That's in a top 10. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then, yeah, it just kind of, it, it becomes more, it, it's an interesting season in that you can see that the trend uh, of TV at the time was to head in, in a more serialized direction. And you can kind of see that play mm -hmm. out in season seven where the show becomes more intensely serialized. And I, I don't know if it's that slight format change or if it's just that like you said paul endings are hard but it doesn't really it doesn't really hold up well if i can speak to that i think buffy had always had worked towards a more serialized storytelling yeah I was starting with season two yeah. they had they had a big bad and then they also had some stand episodes that would work as standalone um they'd done that ever since season two um the problem with and i think uh, Paul and I have talked about this on some previous uh, podcasts as well. With season seven, it's part of it is the the big bad of season seven. The first is just how are you going to make it bad enough? <laughs> because it's, right. and, but they do start being self conscious about it and and uh, talking about this. It's basically immaterial, and all it can do is. <laughs> Uh, try to manipulate people's emotions mm -hmm. and so until when, they find go ahead. yeah go ahead I, I was just going to say when when dale joined me to talk about um i think it was the episode touched where mm -hmm. everybody gets their little sexy moment their their happy moment together before the apocalypse begins yeah um in that episode we were talking about how i i I was positing that amongst the sort of happy couples that we got to see pair off and have a, you know, one good night together before the world comes to an end. I, I suggested that uh, Caleb and the first were another couple that also <laughs> yeah. had a significant evening together before the apocalypse started. <laughs> but I thought the significance of that scene was that in that scene, the first was talking about how it sort of envies humans, their ability, ability to touch and mm -hmm. all of that. And, uh, and I was pointing out that that was the scene that made explicit what I'd been trying to express about the first all along in this season seven discussion. And that is that the first is impotent. The, fir mm -hmm. the first is on paper. Sounds like a, a fantastic big bad. Sounds like it should be, you know, the biggest of all big bads. But in practice, in writing on screen, they just never really utilized it very well. Like mm -hmm. there were so many things that the first could do that um, I don't know. I mean, half the time, the first seems ridiculously ineffectual in my opinion. Right. right. Mm. So, but here at the end, 
Um, I mean, I don't know. I, let's talk about what we like about this episode <laughs> before we get too down. Um, does the first does the first pay off in the finale? Everybody's in way, thinking yes. in a way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. Elizabeth, how do you th- how do you think it pays off? Well, um, it sort of becomes corporeal by uniting with Caleb, um, and it's very satisfying to see Buffy finally, you know, uh, bisect fight. You bisect Caleb and uh, hand, you know, just give it to him. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so that's a very satisfying fight. Um, I, I will say that, um, as has been the case with most of Buffy on this rewatch for me, I feel I've I've felt slightly differently about things. Like there are things that I used to remember loving that I've I've been like, hmm, I don't know, maybe that's not as great as I remembered. And stuff that I remembered hating that I was like, actually, that wasn't that bad. I really kind of liked it this time. Um, The the um, the misogyny, like Caleb as the physical manifestation of misogyny, which is a perfect seems on paper to be the perfect final villain for Buffy to face. Um, I remember not being very impressed by him on first watch. But I, I was a little more satisfied by the whole Caleb storyline this time. Yeah, I, I do think Caleb is Nathan Fillion is very effective as Caleb. He, I mean, like you said, he's the physical manifestation of misogyny. He is a perfectly hateful human being, and it's it's so. Um, I a show that I did watch on first run was Firefly, and so when I got to this, I was very I was very taken aback right. by, yeah. by Nathan yeah, Fillion as this. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, he he's he's very effective, and I do like that Buffy uh, slices him by the balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yep. I'd yep. forgotten the fake out death. I'd forgotten that yeah. she she kills him first, and then he comes back to get. You know, bisected, yeah. but uh... <laughs> so it's a great line: slices and dices and serves Julianne preachers. Uh, good, yes. good line. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't know. Not now. Not everybody is a fan of the Buffy Angel uh, relationship, but I, I was very happy to see Angel come back in uh, End of Days, and the Buffy Angel exchange is funny. Um, I don't mind. What I like about it is there's basking, but there's also Buffy standing up to Angel and saying, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't want to renew this relationship the same way. I can't. I'm my own woman. I don't need you the same way I did before, you know, maybe many years from now. And Angel's line, I'm not getting any older, which I, is I, I loved his I've loved his yeah. final shot, his delivery of that line and then fading yeah. back into the shadow. That was yeah. great. Yeah. That was just fantastic. like he does at the end of season three when he right. just yeah. turns and walks away. Right. So a lot of callbacks yeah. to previous episodes, which I think Nikki, you have a big uh, list of in, in your book. Oh, okay. I really should have checked my book. <laughs> <laughs> 
You, Nikki, you were tracking all through season seven. You were tracking the back to the beginning stuff oh, since right. that was one of the themes of this yeah. season. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's been a while. <laughs> Although, like, honestly, uh, February seems like 500 years ago. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, the, I, I'm probably in the minority on this, and I'm pretty sure I might have said it in my book, but I can't remember. But I hated the cookie dough speech. God bless you. Oh, stupid. Speech. I think it was stupid. <laughs> it, was dumb. it was a metaphor that can't be carried. And even, and I do like that Angel sort of calls it out when he's like, well, but if, you know, and he goes, why have to continue with the cookie dough metaphor? Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. it it's not working, kid, you yeah. know. And, it's just dumb. And I think that it was meant to make Buffy look all cutesy and have her one last little dumb analogy, but it just didn't work because she's had really smart dumb analogies, you know, yeah. if that makes any sense. And I just thought this one was trying too hard, mm -hmm. like way too hard. And I just, <laughs> yeah. it, it makes me cringe every time. And I did it again. I was just like, oh. Yeah. It's, it's worse when you know it's coming. It's worse when you know it's yeah. coming. But see, that's what this show does so much. I mean, it does something stupid, and then it just says, oh, you know, this is really stupid. Let's just acknowledge that it's stupid. And right. And then Angel acknowledged it. And that's yeah. what I liked. And I liked that, you know, as you were just saying, that they left, they didn't end the relationship. Mm -hmm. It just isn't what she wants now, but there was no closure for sure. Like it still could be something 20 years from now kind of thing. Like it was yeah. just there and he disappears and that's it, you know? And, uh, and that she comes back to Spike and whatever. So yeah, I, I, I liked that part for sure. I, I love the way though, that she calls out both Angel and Spike on being jealous of each other. Yes. And that is hilarious. And then there's that great, what on, the angel episode, the girl in question, where they're both still jealous of each other. Yes. <laughs> at the bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great yeah. episode. Um, so Paul, I want to ask you, because I know you, you might be particularly sensitive to this because angel, I think both the character and the show are very dear to you. Um, how did you feel about angels appearance here? So, when he popped up in the previous episode in end of days, when he has his whole, Hey moment and surprises Caleb, that was, even though I knew it was coming, um, that was still like one of those, I kind of got chills and one of those fist pump moments. I was like, Hell yes. Now, now we're back. And then immediately I was like, Oh yeah, I, I don't really like him and Buffy. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, it's awesome to see angel again. I'm coming to your own show very soon, angel. But uh, yeah, once we get to this episode and we see them interact, um, I, there was a nostalgic joy to it for me, seeing them standing next to each other. Like physically, I think they're great. Yeah. Like she's the petite little blonde girl and he's this mountain of a dark complected man. But, uh, and it was fun to see him try to have banter with her, Nikki, the whole, do I have to stick with the cookie dough yeah. analogy? <laughs> oh, God, you're still a kid, aren't you? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I yeah. was glad to see Angel again. And because I know that this episode has to serve so many masters and it has to be like, it, it has to be the exclamation point on the entire series. And Angel was a big part of the series in the beginning. So, I mean, we had yeah. to get him. I'm so glad we end. got him. Yeah. 
So I I guess I will be the outlier and that I really do not like Angel's appearance here. <laughs> I, I am glad I am glad that he's here because he he needed to be here. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have felt right without him. But and I can appreciate the point that when you are around someone that you've previously been in a relationship with, you kind of regress to being that person that you were. But it just does not feel like who Angel is. At, at this point in, in his own show. If you've I been watching, this, yeah. Right, and I understand that this is not his own show, but it just, it, it doesn't feel right to me. And I, I do, obviously they have great chemistry together. Obviously, I I loved their relationship on 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 this show, you know, for the first three seasons of this show. I, I, I loved it, but I, I really don't like him here. It just, the the... The voice feels wrong to me, and, and may, maybe I maybe I'm in the minority in, uh, on that, but I just do not care for his appearance here. <laughs> I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame that it feels so perfunctory. It, it it winds up feeling literally like we just had to have him because it's the final episode, especially when he's the one that brings the the MacGuffin of uh, the yeah, necklace. Yeah. The amulet that, that appears out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that you know that is just too much of a, an obvious mysterious. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. another thing. Like I, I know the show, you know, the, the show relies on its on its, on its uh, wonderflonium, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that amulet that comes just out of nowhere, yeah. which they would repeat. I know that the the comics are not considered canon for this podcast, but. Uh, you know, they would repeat that in the comics with the with the seed of wonder, which I think is still the most egregious. Uh, don't uh, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> I know it's absolutely horrible, but yeah, oh I, I think weighing Angel down with all being the guy who has to deliver this uh, random artifact that is extremely important, but which we've never heard of before, um, it 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 does make it feel more perfunctory than it should. Yes. Yeah. So moving past Angel and the damn cookie dough speech. Um, <laughs> oh, I was going to say, that's a moment that I had always really liked. And then coming back to it uh, when I watched the episode today. Yeah, I got to agree with you guys. I, that, that just doesn't. Now, to be, to be fair, to be fair, I actually like what the speech does. Like, I like the fact that it's the I'm still trying to figure out who I am and what I want to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm not ready to know who I want to be with at this point. Let's. Sure. That's a great moment for Buffy. Sure. I just wish it absolutely wish it didn't have this stupid cookie dough analogy. I in there. think it got buried in the metaphor, and that's the problem. I think that was a really important speech mm-hmm. that she delivers like a four year old. It's really blended in the batter, and you can't. Oh, taste stop! No, nope. cut his mic. Oh, Somebody cut his mic. So, Paul, I think your original uh, what led us to to the angel uh, scene was you asking if we believe the first pays off. Pays off, right, yeah. Um, So I will say that I really like the structure of the episode in that Buffy defeats the physical manifestation of misogyny Mm -hmm. in the form of Caleb. Then she, for the moment, is able to, to move past Angel. And so that when the first reappears to her at the end of the episode, she is now facing her own... You know, her own self-doubt and insecurity, which of course she's been battling for all seven seasons, but now she ha- has a, a final 
battle with herself face to face and ultimately overcomes those fears and insecurities. And so I, I really like the the way the, the progression there throughout this episode and how yeah. the and how the first is able to represent that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um all right. Well, what do we want to talk about next? Buffy giving Spike the amulet? How do we feel about that scene? <laughs> the whole uh well, when so after she leaves Angel and goes back to the basement, and Spike is all, well, where is it? The thing that your lover boy gave you, whatever. Um, that's when we also get to see Spike being jealous. But I liked that scene. I like the way that scene played out. How about you guys? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's and it's like of uh, every time one of the best things of having Spike and Angel in the same episodes is always what insults they're going to throw at each other. And um, he wears lips, you know, which he says really quickly. And yet I, it's so funny and it, it grabs me every single time. And when over her shoulder, you can see the, the really terrible drawing he's made of Angel on his punching bag. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, Remember there were t-shirts with that drawing on it. I mean, it was, it was iconic. And uh, so for me, it, it was a very funny scene. And, uh, but I do, it does have that moment where she turns it over to him, you know? And, yeah. and I, I like the moment of the two hands coming together. I thought that was really nice. I always like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of that scene was uh, the, when she mentions that it's meant to be worn by a champion and he suddenly, he was very enthusiastic. And then he's like, he looks all sort of crestfallen because he's like, oh, well, of course I'm not a champion. And then she gives it to him anyways. And he has, again, exactly. any moment where James Marsters gets to portray the heart and soul of Spike, uh, where he gets that look of, I don't, I don't know, he gets that effulgent expression on his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was, I, I loved the little emotion that played out right there. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's another um, sort of double moment there um when spike uh i guess it might be in episode two where he where she first discovers that he's come back with a soul and he reaches out to her and puts his hand on the side of her face like he's trying to recognize that it's her for the first time and that moment is reversed in this scene where she reaches out to him and so they they finally connect yeah um in the scene that's another thing that i discovered on this rewatch of season seven is and i've kind of called it out a couple times during discussions of the season that maybe it feels like just a step too far given what her feelings on spike were in season (laughs) six but i i've been shocked at how firmly in spike's camp she's been all season like, I didn't mm-hmm. remember that. I'm so used to feeling <laughs> defensive. I'm so used to feeling like Buffy cut him a break or whatever that I had forgotten that pretty much this entire season, she's the only one that is giving him a benef- the benefit of the doubt. So right. I-, I just love all the moments, like her reaching out and putting caressing his cheek. I mean, that stuff, that is my, that's my bread and butter right there. I live for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. What else do we get? We get um, Robin speaking truth to Faith. <laughs> I love. Yeah, I'm a great. I'm a huge Faith fan, but her whole "I am the hotness" stuff does it does yeah. start to bore after a while. And so I really love the scene when he's like, 
I am so much prettier than you. And by the way, our night together didn't exactly change my world. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. I am yeah. a big, I'm a big um, D.B. Woodside fan. So I, yeah. I love going back and seeing young D.B. Woodside as Principal Wood. No, he's so good in that role. I I think he's so good, and I and I mean just to bring it to the to the end where he shows up at the end. I loved the way that they sort of thwarted our expectations at the very end because the the principal's supposed to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what's supposed right. Every time something big happens, he's supposed to die, and so he plays on that expectation. And you're like, oh, good, We're, we'll put him in the graveyard with all the other principals, and then whoop, and he comes away. And that's that for me. I love that ending. So, and that they set it up early on with moving the filing cabinets, which I love that scene too for the fact that uh, Principal Wood is straining with everything he's doing, and Faith yeah. is picking it up with a single finger on her side. And yeah. I think that was hilarious. I love that little, that tiny little detail that is just sort of there and yet uh -huh. can But yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I just thought of something about Principal Wood, and I can't remember what it was now. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I remembered a funny scene <clears throat> because in the previous episode, we got the whole thing with Xander kidnapping Don. And the right. hilarious payoff for that was her just tasering him as he's driving the car, which is <laughs> hilarious. But I love... That felt like it was going to be, it was going to have some big payoff with her coming back and getting in Buffy's face about how dare you try to ship me off. And I love the just kicking her shin and saying, dumbass. Kicking her shin, really yeah. lightly. Yeah. <laughs> Not even hard. That was great. Yeah. Um, so we got a, I don't remember what song was playing during this montage, but we, at about, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes in my cat is pitching a fit in the other room. I'm sorry. Uh, 20 or 30 minutes into the episode, I started realizing that uh, there's sort of this countdown of the final moments we get with this character or this setting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the one that really hit me, the first one that really kind of woke me up to it. And so I started kind of paying attention was our final shot of the summer's house with, with Buffy standing on the porch, standing on the porch and the camera, yeah pulling back um mm -hmm. and i was like it just dawned on me i was like god that's the last time we're gonna see that house mm -hmm. and uh that was more powerful than i expected mm. yeah um what sort of stuff hit you arlo you've been quiet <laughs> um i feel like uh like the, a, a lot of the big stuff that i don't know if you're ready to to get to those, those are my favorite things the episode really starts clicking for me about about halfway through when when they start le leaving the you know they leave the summer's house and everyone gets on the school bus welcome um, to sunnydale high yeah welcome to sunnydale high uh my my single favorite moment in the entire episode besides besides spike's sacrifice um is uh the direct callback to uh the end of the harvest from season one yes. yeah. uh, where it's just it's uh buffy willow xander and giles and you know the the three the three are just talking about all the silly things <laughs> that they're going to do the next day and uh giles just like the earth is definitely doomed yeah yeah <laughs> right. they, they got yeah, I me love that so much they got me with that, that. i teared up at perfect. that yeah 
Especially after all this season, Giles has really not been Giles. I mean, it was so nice in the last couple of episodes, and particularly this this finale, for him to... We get just good old Giles back. Right. And Buffy even says she gets that line where where Giles is like, if you want my opinion, and Buffy's like, I really do. So that was was really nice. Yeah, Yeah. after the... uh the last episode that I talked with you about where Buffy shuts the door in Giles's face and said, I don't need anything more from you. It's, you know, she, so it's nice to see her wanting to hear from yeah. him again. Yeah. yeah. Although my other favorite Giles moment in this episode is the Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> oh yes. my God. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Andrew's wearing Buffy's uh, red riding hood. Yes. Oh, I've exactly. I had not made that connection. That yeah. didn't even dawn on me. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's Shame true. on me. I, I yeah. mean, Andrew is spot on the entire episode. Like, he does not have one misstep in the entirety of Chosen. Mm-hmm. I love him. And I think he's great in the D&D game. He's great in the hallway. He's hilarious standing behind Anya. And he's actually kind of poignant on the school bus. I mean, who would yeah. have um, but he's just so great. Tom Lang nailed it in this episode. And uh, so that is, I think he was my favorite of the whole episode. He he was my highlight. Wow. Yeah. I just wow. loved him. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. And- I mean, in the previous episode that he and Anya got the scene in the hospital, but I love the fact that it, like in that scene, he was talking about how he doesn't think, you know, that he's going to survive he assumes he's going to die in the final battle but he's okay with it so mm-hmm. in this that really makes his final scene his final line on the bus when he's like i don't understand why didn't i die why am i still alive yeah, yeah. why that was, am i here that and was really poignant yeah he looks kind of stricken yeah. you know mm-hmm. and after him catching so much grief uh for the fact that he just tells stories all the time like I mean, there was a whole episode around Buffy threatening his life so he would stop (laughs) concocting these ridiculous stories. Um, I love the fact that the last thing we get to see him do in the series is make up a story for Xander Mm -hmm. to make Xander feel better. Even though we could talk about how appropriate or inappropriate our farewell to Anya was. I get, yeah. I get the idea. I mean, I'm a Joss fan. I get the idea that death can just sometimes happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't need to have a big buildup or final soliloquy or anything. But I still, I cannot help feeling like Anya was just the tiniest bit underserved. Yeah. Yes. No, I agree because you know, um, yeah. when you mention spoilers, are we allowed to talk about Angel future? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Um, I'll just say that when it comes to major characters dying at the end in a season finale, Wesley did it way better. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) That, it also happens rather quickly, but they do draw it out a bit in that scene. And I mean, I still sob just thinking about that moment. Now, of course, Wesley, for me, was the main character, the main arc of the entire series. Agreed. In much the I believe Willow is the main arc of Buffy and her transformation, how she develops. And Anya obviously is a side character. And I think I, 
again, I should have looked, but I'm pretty sure that in my book, I said something about how, yeah, sometimes these things happen quickly, but I also just felt a little cheated. It, it, it seemed to go very quickly. And I felt like Xander is like, oh, well. You were engaged. What do you, what? You know, like it was, it seemed a little too pat. And then Xander's cracking jokes two seconds later. No, yeah, okay. I'm going to fight you on this one. That <laughs> is Xander. Xander covers everything with a joke. Yeah. So I'm sure there, that's part of that too. It just has always kind of bugged me. All right, Elizabeth, yeah. All we're right. going to have a scholar fight here. So go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Well, so, well, Nikki, what you just said, that is Xander. He covers all yeah. his emotions with jokes. Right. Um, and what it's, um, so we know that Xander can be emotional. He can make his very heartfelt speeches. So yeah. we know that he does have emotions. Um, I think he just, sometimes he can't express his feelings and this, maybe this was just too much. So when he says, um, uh, what he says is that's my girl always doing the stupid thing. I think what's stupid is dying. That's what's was stupid. You know, death sure. is stupid. So it sounds flippant, but I don't think it's flippant. Now, really. For me, it, that, that is, that I thought was a poignant line. What I meant was two minutes later where he's like, wait, they took out the mall. What about the gap? What about that? Like, that's uh, the kind of like, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, he, how so is for he saying that? Transition so and easily. Again, yes. And this but, is how he disassociates, right. you know? Maybe and also he, I think it's an example of how this, this episode, is, um, as Arlo said, is crammed too full of stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If, I think with, with two with two episodes worth of Chosen, yeah. Anya's death would have been a more, a little more of a Wesley experience maybe. But yeah, yeah, I think they would have been able to do something a lot better and have a reaction to it as well. That we don't see the others react. Anya missing. She's been a core part of who they are mm -hmm. for a year mm -hmm. now. I mean, um, that's, a, that's a really excellent point. That had not occurred to me. No yeah. one besides Xander and Andrew yeah. reacts to, to her death right yeah that's always bugged me i mean know? this is like, this is the season that gave us a buffy who was ready like that to kill anya that is true true that true. is true she's not one of, and she's never i mean she's always been that person who points out all the terrible things in the worst moment possible <laughs> and maybe they all kind of hold that against her i don't know but yeah yeah <laughs> i do i i don't know if it's an appropriate and, you know, if it's a fitting ending for the character, but I do like that it is so quick and brutal. And uh, honestly, I I would have expected there to be more collateral damage. Like yeah. I know that a lot yeah. of the potentials, a lot of the potentials bite it, but yeah. I I would have expected, you know, I, you know, it's I, I I would have gladly traded Xander for Anya. <laughs> Um, to be perfectly honest, um, I, I love Xander. I love Xander. I have a complicated relationship with Xander, Thanks. as I think many of us do. Yeah. Um, as a younger man watching the show for the first time, I heavily identified with Xander, which makes me very uncomfortable whenever I come back to the show. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I I would have expected more major characters to have died. I'm I I will say though, I'm glad that. Uh, Principal Wood does not die. Yes, it's it seems like he he's going to at first, but I, I really like that he he sticks around and his death was a fake out. Yes. 
which set up perfectly to have I'm just continuing to build my my fantasy spin-off which was supposed to be Faith and Spike on motorcycles like walking the <laughs> earth like Kane and Kung Fu and in an earlier episode I said uh yeah and in my fantasy in my dream world Clem would have joined them Clem would have come back and been a character oh. on that show oh. and and now I'm like and of course Principal Wood would have to be on that show since they are implying there's something with him and faith and that would be awesome since he's got his history with spike i don't know it would have been a great show and that damn sounds them amazing for, paul damn That's them so for let's not talk doing about it. let's talk about that show well and, and we can't forget too that uh, the principal would uh, what sets him apart from the other principals and from everybody in the earth ever <laughs> is that He's the child of a slayer, yeah. you know, and that this is, it's always going to make him just a little bit unique and different than everyone else. And it just makes you wonder, is that how he just continues to survive? <laughs> you right. know, he's, he's got Nikki's blood in him. Uh-huh. So, Which there's another yeah. spinoff or at least like tie in novel or something that I'm pissed <laughs> we haven't gotten. I want to see, well, I want to, I want to see, I want stories set in the seventies with Nikki Wood as the slayer. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, we did not a, a get couple... nearly enough of her. Yeah, a, so a couple of the uh, the short comic stories I think in in Tales of the Slayers. Yeah, um, th- th- those were fun. I, I would I would love to have seen more of that. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we're in we're into the big stuff. We've already, we've talked about Anya's <laughs> death. Um. I want to. That leads me into talking about how all of a sudden the the Uber vamps are such pushovers. Now Joss has already <laughs> Joss yeah. has owned the fact that yes he downplayed like he he depowered the the uber vamps the Turrican for this because he'd rather fudge continuity in order to get good character moments i i agree i accept that yeah. but it was a little odd to see like anya swinging a sword just just swinging a sword and uber vamps just Falling. dusting dusting <laughs> yeah. like that and i'm like you there was an entire episode of this season dedicated to how impossible these things are to kill yeah that buffy couldn't kill one right yeah <laughs> Like in the ring, and it's like, what? yeah. You know that that is one of the things that I love about Whedon, and also one of the things I don't is that he is so will so often willing to throw continuity aside for 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 great character work. Obviously, I love the character work. The character work is why I I come to to his shows. <sighs> but at the same time, I think there's a certain line, you know, the, that that you can cross where when you get to the point where you just completely throw away, like Paul said, something that was, they literally spent an entire episode on uh, earlier in the season, that kind of crosses a line a little bit. And it's like, well, did any of that really even matter? (laughs) It ultimately doesn't really bother me that much in the context of the episode. I'm fine with it. It, It's just, it is, (laughs) it is, just one of those things. Well, I'll tell you the other reason why that is so like that scene in particular, the Anya dusting Uber vamps thing is, is particularly frustrating because everybody was just really jazz, man. They were I all guess. like hopped up on adrenaline. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, she'd had a good she nap during the. She was inspired by bunny hatred. <laughs> that's oh, right. That's yes. right. That's right. That yeah. was a great moment. That yeah. Was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but in the following scene, so we see her dusting Uber vamps left and right. And then we cut away. And when we come back, there, her and Andrew are fighting bringers. Like the Uber vamps are gone, and now they're fighting bringers. They could have just had them fighting bringers the whole time, because she could kill bringers. But I don't know. It was 
They didn't need to do the whole Uber map thing, but whatever. <laughs> I, I nitpick because I love, I guess. <laughs> um, That's right. Uh, all right, so we're in. We're into the big fight sequence. So, what do we want to talk about here? What goes on in this big final battle that we loved or hated? Or I think it's really well staged. I mean, I think um, fight choreography has not always been one of the show's strengths, but I think especially um, uh, comparing to earlier episodes of the show, I think the the, the final fight looks really good mm -hmm. um it uh I, I think it's probably the i i think the easiest point of comparison is the is the gift the the major final showdown in the gift mm -hmm. i'm not sure it's quite as successful as the gift because i think the gift is basically perfect um but uh but i i do think it's it's really well executed as like a major as a series of major set pieces yeah I remember when it first aired, um, a lot of people, and I was one of them, were either either just making fun of or outright like annoyed by the uh, the Lord of the Rings of it all. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah yeah yeah. It's the time. Um, but on this rewatch, uh, again, even though I knew that was coming, um, I, I actually kind of liked that. I liked the the sort of visceral fear moment of them walking into the either the entrance to the Hellmouth or the Hellmouth itself. I don't know what that was. And Buffy just repeating to herself, um, I'm not, what is she saying? I'm not panicking or I'm not worried. Is that what she says? I'm not worried. Something like that. Yeah. And, and walking up to the edge of that cliff and seeing the hundreds of thousands of Uber vamps. And then they all start pouring up after them like that. I, I got into that moment. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Like, I think they do manage to make that effective, yeah. even though you're right. It totally looks like something out of Lord of the Rings right down to the orcs. But yes. I mean, they and and a little bit uh, less um, special effect, like some fewer special effects. It, yeah. just, it looks like some like ants coming running. And then when you realize <laughs> what it is, I think if you slowed it down frame by frame, it would be pretty bad. But when it's sped up like that it's kind of terrifying because they're just coming at you as a horde and yeah. it's really really scary and yeah. there's so many more of them <laughs> than there are and just all the faces like the fact that all the potential step back like oh no 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 you know is uh it's really scary because for the first for that moment you think they can't do this like they just can't but yeah um i don't want to I don't want to spoil where I hope this conversation is ultimately going <laughs> to the, the big thing, the big thing. Um, I, my controversial opinion tie, ties into this, but I just want to say that regardless of what my controversial opinion may or may not be, the moment, there was a moment on this rewatch where Buffy and all of the potentials who have now been empowered are all fighting. And, and again, I've had years to know that the scene was coming and I've experienced it and I've had my feelings about it. But just this time I was like, man, this is actually super thrilling to see yes! dozens Absolutely. of slayers all fighting at once. And especially when the scythe shows up and they just start passing it like back yeah, and forth, like they great. toss it to it. I mean, that was, that was yeah. really, that was really good. And, I, this may contradict that, what I'm going to say towards the end of the episode, but for that moment I was super into it. But that, in that quick little montage of of women and girls around the world 
um, rising up and realizing their power is just so, uh, you know, like you, Paul, like I, I know that moment is coming, uh, but it, it's not it, it's not cheesy. It's not it, it's it, for me. It just it hits on every level. I always love it. I yeah, I I remember my heart swelling the first time I saw it and it has ever since. And I'm with Paul. I think, I don't know if it is without getting into it or naming names, the particular political climate we're living in right now (laughs) and the possible human rights violations and, and things happening to women or the potential of what could happen to women even made it feel bigger right now, because I feel like, my heart swelled more this time than it ever mm-hmm. has watching that scene. It felt so much bigger this time. And I have watched that scene, I don't I have no idea how many times. And the first time I saw it was in 2003. And mm-hmm. you know, and here we are and I just it felt bigger and better and more important and because it almost felt like, you know, this is happening. I mean, the, the Women's March in 2016, I mean, this is happening and we're seeing it happen. And uh, it was beautiful. I loved that scene this time so much. I actually had not yeah. consciously thought of it in terms of watching it in this climate. For for one brief yeah. moment, I stopped thinking about the climate that we're living in right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that might that might have contributed to why I I really got into that moment more than I did before and expected to. Here's where I was coming from it on on this rewatch. So, not to not to go down this rabbit hole, but uh, especially over the last several years, I've started to have a very complicated relationship with with Joss Whedon in relation to his his stated feminism. Right. Uh, which which you're not alone. Yeah, I I, I know I know. Uh, so so not to go down that rabbit hole, but I was wondering if that moment would still play for me. I'm like, is this still going to work for me personally given what we have learned and it, it does as as a moment on this show it is incredibly beautiful and powerful it, yeah i i got chills watching it for the millionth time yeah <laughs> okay so it, it's just stupid that i've made a game out of teasing this controversial opinion. So we're here. I have known this controversial opinion since I've known you, yeah. which has been for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't remember at what point over the course of this podcast, I, it occurred to me that I was being vague, but then I just decided to turn it into this promised reveal. Anyways, spoiler alert. Here it is. Since we're talking about this and again, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat that. I loved this stuff on this rewatch. And I don't want to take away from the the girl power and empowerment moment of it all, but the just say it, Paul. You can do this. You got the, it. The struggle that I've had. So I really disliked it on my first viewing. I really, really was not happy the first time I watched it. Um, and so to boil down what my struggle with this uh, finale has been all these years, it's basically. Um, my childish amateur opinion is this. So I want the scholars to school me here. Um, my feeling has always been that we've just watched basically seven seasons of Buffy Summers to one degree or another, complaining, whining, bitching, whatever, taking issue with the fact that she didn't, she never got a choice. 
This yeah. power was forced upon her and she was not given the opportunity to choose. She was chosen. And she gives this wonderful speech. And I do like the speech. It is, uh, despite my misgivings, it, it, you know, I get a thrill hear, hearing her deliver, you know, uh, this is your moment. This is, you know, choose or whatever. But the point of that speech is she's telling them to choose. It's your choice. Are you ready to be strong? It's a very powerful sentiment, but that's not actually what's going on. What's going on is she, with the aid of Willow, uses this magic to empower every single potential slayer around the world without their knowledge <sighs> or choice. <laughs> this again? Yes, this again. So... And You're I realize, I realize in Angel, I realize yes. in Angel, they do, they take one episode at least to address this. And I'd forgotten yes. that at the very end of this episode, Dawn makes the comment when, when either Buffy or Willow says, or Willow says, I feel them, they're waking up all over the place, Slayers or whatever. And Dawn, who has become the most mature one on the show by this point, says, we're going to have to find them. Um, realizing that, oh yeah, all these that very powerful moment that we got a little while ago with the, with the 11 year old girl at baseball who is suddenly about to be a fully powered slayer. She doesn't know what to hit a freaking Homer. Exactly. I was going to say, man, is about to drive that ball <laughs> through the pitcher. <laughs> Anyways, I want to be at that ball game. So Elizabeth, uh, I can tell that you're frustrated. You've dealt with this. You've, you, uh, I feel you wanting to push back. So go ahead. Well, um, I feel like I have something to say about this somewhere. Um, I think that the key part of Buffy's speech there is that this is where you make a choice. Buffy didn't have a choice. She tells the potentials in the room there, you have a choice. And um, my view is that there is some level of choice that the potentials around the world have. Now, they do need some guidance. Um, obviously there's, it's not going to be perfect for everybody. We do have the Slayer, um, in, uh, in that Angel episode who clearly, uh, who was damaged for reasons that, you know, couldn't have been foreseen. Yeah. Um, there's always going to be exceptions and that, yeah, that needed careful handling. Um, there's some way in which it seemed to me those, the spell that they were doing, those girls did have a choice in a sense. I mean, they could have chosen to just say, Oh, I, I'm not going to do this. I don't know. Maybe it's just the girls in the room. I don't know. It felt to me like there was some quality of choice in the spell, as opposed to the way the shamans in the first in get it done approached it which was to tie the girl down right, and yeah. force the energy on her. No, I mean, obviously, at the very least, from a, from a visual <laughs> uh, aspect, <laughs> this is not nearly as problematic as what we saw the whole Shadow Man do with the first yeah. Slayer. But um, I don't know. I might push back against that notion. Like, I know that the comics went on to deal with this, but I only read so far. I read up to that stupid Twilight world seed or seed of one uh, thing or whatever. Was, and I yeah, was like, that was the worst. that's it. I'm done. <laughs> but I know the comics eventually go on to deal with the whole, there's thousands of slayers scattered around the world now. So I don't mm -hmm. know how that, I don't know how all that is 
covered there. But because I do know that we get Dana, the damage slayer or whatever, and we've had Faith all this time, who is not the same thing as Dana. Like she, Faith did have a watcher for a brief time, but there could be any number of other Faiths out there who now suddenly find themselves empowered. Um, right. Again, the like Joss would say, I'm fine messing up continuity uh, for a for a great character moment, and I think this is a a beautiful sentimental cap to what Buffy has been about this whole time, which is why I want you brains here to tell me how this doesn't ruin the show. I don't. I'm not claiming it ruins the show, but for a little while at least, it kind of ruined the show for me because I was like, hang on, Buffy. You were pissed you didn't get a choice, and that little baseball girl <laughs> didn't get a choice. And uh, like all these other girls, they're just going to suddenly wake up with these powers. And let's leave aside the fact <laughs> okay, well, that some of that any number of those girls could have any number of their own personal issues that they'll bring to this. Right. There's also just the idea of all of a sudden you've got an 11 year old goal, 11 year old girl on a baseball field who just demonstrates super strength. What are her parents going to do about that? What are like. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, she clearly seems so excited about. I know. I get it. In the moment, it's fantastic and thrilling. But yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Nikki. Okay. So here's here's my thoughts on that because you are not alone, Paul. And I have been at various fan conventions where this has come up. I have been in interviews where this has come up. I'm sure, like I've had this discussion with fans, other writers, bloggers, you name it, other academics. I'm sure Beth has heard this over and over again. Um. Buffy was chosen to do it alone and every Slayer was chosen to do it alone. And that to me, even the first, when um, it appears as Buffy and starts speaking the, the opening line that was from seasons one and two, they would open with into every generation. She goes alone. Oh, there's that word again, you know, and dogs her with that word. If I, what happens when they're empowered? They're empowered. And that's the most important thing. Um, it, the, watching it this time made me think of, um, I don't know if it was a year or a couple of years ago, um, a woman, an academic, I don't know who it was, but someone on Twitter said, women, imagine a world, and by the way, I say this with, with all respect due to Arlo and Paul. <laughs> Imagine you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Seriously. Imagine a world wherein for 24 hours, there are no men. What are you going to do? And the responses made me cry because they were like, I'd go for a walk at three in the morning. Yeah. I would take the bus at night. I would go to a bar and drink a couple of drinks and not be worried. I would go to a board meeting and present an idea and know no one's going to talk over me. And that was that kind of thing. That's empowerment. This is what women don't feel. We don't feel that. Every time we go outside, it doesn't matter if you're 11 on a baseball field. It doesn't matter if you're 25 walking around a university. It doesn't matter if you're 60 walking, going for a walk after dinner. Anyone could jump out at you. Men don't have that fear that someone's going to jump them at like in, in these situations. The idea that suddenly that 11-year-old girl, if someone walks up behind her, will turn around and break their face. I would love to give that to my daughter. I would love to have it myself. I would love to have that power of not being afraid in the world anymore. And to me, that's what that scene meant. 
So yeah. there's my Bravo. my Bravo. Uh, plea for for it not ruining the show. Okay, no. <laughs> yeah. Paul, so it's not just think... it's not just the eleven year old girl. It's also the girl who's being uh, abused and who yes. grabs up. that fist and stands up. Yes, yeah. so, that's um, my favorite. That's yeah. my favorite part of that uh, little montage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Paul, I think I think where you and I have always diverged paths on on this is that I think. I see it as this incredibly beautiful metaphor for exactly the reasons Nikki laid out. I will not be able to say it better than that. Um, but uh, I think if you if you do look at it from purely plot mechanics of like in the fictional world of this show, I do agree there are certainly problems. And like you said, the comics do address some of right. those in that episode of Angel addresses some of those. But ultimately, especially since this is the final episode of Buffy, I don't I don't personally give a lot of thought to to that. To me, and I'm not saying this to, to say that you're wrong, Paul, but to me, that just doesn't really matter in the context of the moment. So yeah, okay. So I feel I feel duly chastened. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. No, 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 no. no I didn't want to chase him. <laughs> no, I I've I've been bracing yeah. I've been bracing for this. I've expected this. This is kind of what I wanted. Um and I totally agree Arlo with what you with you pointing out that from that it my concern, my raising this concern really is just from a plot. It really is a nitpick. It really is I'm just looking at the plot. And I've always been such a I've always been able to uh enjoy the emotion or the sentiment or the spirit of a story without necessarily getting bogged down by the, the, you know, the nuts and bolts of the story. So it's just, I think what happened is at the time when this first aired 17 years ago, I was already frustrated with stuff going on. Um, I was not enjoying season seven, that ending happened and it was just, it, I just got hung up on that particular detail. I'm very, as I said, I enjoyed it much more this time. I do love the empowerment message. Nikki, thank you for pointing out that it was, we're watching it again under the circumstances that we are in 2020. Um, and yes, I, I, I thank all of you for your feedback on that. And I, I concede, I concede that uh, <laughs> this is a very, very, important message and a very appropriate message to end this particular series on so shout out to the paper that i wrote in for my high school english class i think about how buffy was how did i word it at, at like 15 or 16 buffy was like uh, th th uh casting off the shackles of the patriarchy or something that was <laughs> easy, easily my favorite paper i ever wrote in high school it's probably terrible but i had a wonderful time writing it <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Uh, okay, man, that what a what a payoff for however however many years <laughs> I've been building up to that stupid reveal. Um, so, the thing we didn't talk about is the scene directly before all of that when Willow actually yeah. extrapolates yeah. Slayer yes. life. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really really love. I think um, I view the whole um, magic as drugs plot i think a little more favorably than most um i think i will uh, i'll echo i think what what 
Nikki was saying earlier in that I, I really do on the whole like season six quite a bit. There are parts of it that I don't like, but I think there's some really, really strong stuff in that season. And I do uh, appreciate the, the drugs is magic plot. And so when or magic Willow is drugs, is, <laughs> drugs is magic is an entirely different show. That's a different show. That's breaking bad. Yes. That was breaking bad. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Uh, so that we get to see Willow, you know, Willow, uh, you know, even admits to Kennedy that she's really worried about having to to do to use magic like this. Um, and by the way, I love that there's so little of Kennedy in this episode. Um, I'm very much in the anti-Kennedy bandwagon. Um, in any case, uh, that we get the reverse image of Willow. Uh, from from the dark willow phase, you know, where mm-hmm. she, you know, her her hair turned black and her eyes turned black, and she was pure evil f- <laughs> for the most part. Um, and we get the opposite of that, where her th- there's this divine light on her, and her hair turns completely white, if only for a moment. And it's um, it, it's just it's it's a beautiful moment, the completion of Willow's uh, redemption arc over the last season. Uh, it's just a really lovely moment. Uh, agree. I, I remember at the time that people were complaining that uh, the whole uh, Turrican, I almost said Urukai, which is what the orcs are called in Lord of the Rings. Um, the whole Turrican thing, the Lord of the Rings thing, uh, was really complete when Willow went Gandalf the White. I do remember oh, that, no. that I comment. I remember that too. Yeah. Uh, but, but I agree. She didn't stay that way, so. That's true. Speaking she doesn't stay that way. Speaking of the Turacon, because I'm not going to remember to mention this at any other point, possibly in my life. Um, it really bothered me when I saw this for the first time. They were called the Turacon because I'm like, Turok is like a video game franchise about this, like hunting dinosaurs. Well, it, go, really... it goes way older than that. It's a comic and I think it was a pulp character. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that really bothered me at the time. Wow. Turok Dinosaur Hunter. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, I always thought it sounded somebody obviously. Uh, Nikki, maybe you know, uh, since you did so much research while you were writing the book, I thought that I remembered reading that when they did all that stuff with the hordes and hordes of Uber vamps, that they used the massive engine, which is what uh, Weta designed to do the same stuff in Lord of the Rings. Like there was a big I deal of the fact. Yeah, I feel like they used the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd have to go back and look at what I, I wrote. <laughs> but that is in my head as some a possibility too. I was thinking okay. that too. So that just adds to the Lord of the Rings of it. Um, yeah. Any any other words about Willow the White? Oh, um, yes. I think uh, that when you and I were discussing get it done, uh, Willow draws energy from. Uh, Kennedy in that and she's afraid yeah. she's going to do that some more in the future that that's the way her magic works right but she doesn't have to do that this time right she draws it from somewhere um yeah they the were either a goddess I don't know they were pretty vague um, about what exactly she was doing but yeah she was right. harnessing Kennedy's the power of the of Kennedy's the sign there to kill her if she goes dark right. <laughs> or or to convey, just to convey the side down to the others. So um. I did like the line when uh, 
when Kennedy says, uh, you're a goddess, and Willow says, and you're a slayer. I like I did yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a nice yeah. little exchange. Uh, Nikki, yeah. I saw you raise your hand when Arlo was talking about hating Kennedy. Was that a, yeah. I agree, or? <laughs> you're not a fan? Yeah. No, when he said, I'm on that bandwagon, I just wanted to say, I've been driving that bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say, I don't I dislike. I say it, too. But... I don't dislike the character conceptually. It's not that, you know, oh, my God, how could she date someone? Right so soon after Tara I just really dislike the way that character is written and I agree uh, I think the actress is actually really really good I just I think that she was grating and the the her lines never worked for me her the chemistry never worked I just it just was and maybe for me there was a little bit of that like how dare you (laughs) I love Tara but I I, I I definitely but yeah she didn't work She's yeah, yeah. I definitely felt a little of the, you know, how dare they replace Tara when I first watched it. But I think over time, I've I've come to accept that. I think the misstep there is that they made this character as like she's the polar opposite of Tara. Yeah. Tara yes. was quiet and reserved and humble, and Kennedy is none of those things like to the max. They they turned right. that dial up to eleven. So when I was and, I was talking to Dale about this. Um, in the last couple episodes. And my take on Kennedy is that um, I, I'm fine that they introduced the character of Kennedy. I don't personally hate the character of Kennedy. Um, I don't think the romance with Willow worked. And I think it's probably because it was rushed. The character did not get enough time to be introduced. We didn't get to know Kennedy before this relationship really started. So I, I came down on the side of, I wish that they'd had time, whether it's um, whether they had managed the season better or they'd gotten another season where we could have had an extended period of time of Tara of, of Tara of Willow on her own. I didn't really right. necessarily think we needed to end with Willow in another relationship. Um, right. So yeah. yeah, again, I do. I don't despise the character of Kennedy. I just I don't get the chemistry with her and Willow. So. Nope. And I mean, in the comics, uh, Willow does dump her. So. Okay. Well, so there's one there thing is. that the comics did. Okay. There is that. Um, what else do we need to talk about? We need to talk about they gave us a fake out where they thought we thought they were going to kill Buffy. Or did we? Did anybody think they were going to uh, kill Buffy? Oh, no. No? Not even on the first <laughs> viewing? It was a close thing. It was a close thing. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't such sure. a terrible, you know. Thing. You know, we're, we're talking about the, the metaphors and the meaning of all of this. It would have been such a terrible note to end on. Like, yes, every every potential slayer in the world has been empowered. Oh, Buffy's dead now. <laughs> as much the strong, powerful woman we've been following for seven years. She's dead now. As, as many problems as I've claimed to have with the character of Buffy Summers, I, I, I rack my brain to try and find a reason why I would have been happy. I would have been satisfied if this had been the end of Buffy Summers. Um, But that's not true. I'm glad Buffy survived. If only because I got really fed up with all of the times that every character on the damn show mischaracterized the Slayer lineage by saying, Buffy was going to have to die for the next Slayer to be called. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, Faith is standing right next to you. <laughs> I'm standing right here. 
So, so if the met, if the final message had been all the slayers in the world are empowered, oh, and Buffy's dead, it would have been one of those. Damn it! I guess they were right. Buffy had to die. <laughs> right. So. No. Right. No, I agree. And uh, the the one thing that I think works for the fake out is that um, when Buffy dies you know, and then is is brought back at the beginning of season six. And we do have that moment in the finale of season six where she comes back up with Dawn and there's a new day and now she has a, you know, a, a will to live. It's It's been as a different kind of person for season seven. She's been a general. She's, you know, she's the, the speechifier. She's the one who's the leader and she's a slightly different Buffy. She's a more mature Buffy. But in that moment when she stands up, it actually really feels like she wants to live. Like she uh -huh. really yeah. wants to live. She's got other things to do. She's not done yet. Yeah. Whereas yeah. at the end of season six, there was always that sense that she'll come up because she has to live for Dawn and she wants to live for Dawn. But in this moment, she wants to live for herself and she wants yeah. to live for all these other people. And I think that is what's important for her to stand up the way she uh -huh. does. Love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that moment when she says to the first, "Just get out of my face!" Like yeah. I've had it, I've had it with you, your whole stick. It's like yeah. I'm done with I, this. I, I love the yeah. Whedon-y double entendre there. Oh yeah, of yeah. get out of my face, like like literally get out of my face, yeah, literally. Face, yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure that she has a, a impaled kidney, but right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that like that's a pretty serious she's move. she's pretty casual about that the rest of the episode isn't she <laughs> she's running on buildings I'm like, oh. uh, she's got yeah. slayer healing powers sure sure <laughs> it's amazing um all right let's talk about spike's big scene oh yeah oh just so 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 wonderful i spike is my favorite character in all of this and uh, even knowing that he shows up on Angel, um, and I really do love him on Angel. Yeah, I do. Um, That's a funny thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a, a wonderful, powerful moment. It's the conclusion to his redemption arc. Mm. Um, and you know, I I think we mentioned the the not necessarily great special effects earlier, but his his dusting is yeah. easily the the best the best uh, CGI this show has. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I agree. It's so true. They kept the budget for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why all the Paracons look like little yeah. ants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree. And and I've always believed that the final word of Spike isn't down there. It's when the Welcome to Sunnydale sign slowly. Oh, yes. That's fantastic. That's Spike's final word. Like, I really believe that was the, obviously it's the callback to Spike, but I felt like that was also him speaking. This time it's not going to be rebuilt. It's over for good. Right. He's tried to smack that thing down twice. <laughs> and this yeah. time he managed to do it. I loved that detail. Yeah, that was, was great. great. Um, uh, there, there's a theory that, um, there was a theory that uh, once more with feeling uh, mm -hmm. had sort of predicted what was going to happen in season six and seven. And uh, that Buffy, 
in Once More with Feeling Buffy says, um, I touch the fire and it freezes me. But this is the moment when she touches the fire and it doesn't, it doesn't freeze her. Finally, she's really, she's really, this is really her comeback too. Right. She's, she's unfrozen at last. So I got, I got chills. I, I, I've never, ever made that connection. That's (laughs) That's so good. I love that. I want to ask you guys about Buffy's line there. Buffy's, Buffy's famous. I love you. And Spike's like, no, you don't, but thanks for saying it. Um, even with my complicated feelings on the relationship between those two, I've always been satisfied by Spike's response by her saying, I love you. And him saying, no, you don't, but thanks for saying it. Because I was like, I agree, man, she doesn't mean it, but it's so weird. And there have been conflicting reports. I feel like I feel, I I think it was Joss who finally has come out and said, yeah, Buffy really loved. Joss believes that he did. She did. And Marster said, no, I don't no. think she did. Okay, you know? right, so, right. So that's how they are. But um, I think in that moment, yeah, she loves what he's doing. I think yes. she truly loves him in that moment. Yeah. For me, I think she actually meant it. She believes she loves him if, if you know, if yes. for whatever else. But in that moment, she believes she does. I, I agree with you, Nikki. And I think also he says, I think he says that to her partly just to get her out of there. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, He's scared for her. Yeah. Yeah. So how I read the moment is I, I think, I think Buffy truly does love him in a way. I mean, they're obviously their relationship yeah. is very complex, um, but she, she loves him. And I think she means it when she says it, but Spike Spike's response um he, he knows that she does not love him in the way that he has always wanted her to. Right. Um, and right. so I, I, I think, right. I think they're, it's a very fitting final exchange between the two of them. Both things and are true. Both things are true. Yeah. And I love Spike's final line. I want to see how it ends. Yes. 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 That's great. Man. Yep. And then just the, you got the, me Arlo. The, <laughs> you, got, you got me. All right. Go ahead. What were you saying? And then, uh, then the, the the light show and everything, cr- you know, crumbling around him. And I I I love shoddy special effects or or I guess questionable special effects or not. I love Buffy running along the the tops <laughs> yes! of the buildings. Um, yeah, it's me too. It's great. And in the the Sunnydale school bus. Uh, you know, everybody being ferried out of Sunnydale on the school bus. How, how perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Right. That it's a school bus that we have to have the moment of her running on the buildings because those buildings are iconic. Like we've mm-hmm. seen them in so many scenes and that she's jumping from the place where Faith jumped off after she'd been stabbed and fell into the truck. And she's jumping over the movie theater where she was standing yeah. in front of, you know, with, with Angel and, and all these moments you're like, Oh, and it's all falling <laughs> and collapsing. And, and it's, it's, it's a complete destruction and it's the end of our show. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was really heartbreaking and beautiful and perfect that they showed that. Yeah. I'm, I'm only doing this as a goof, but I want to be the asshole that points out <laughs> over the, over <laughs> the course. Just stopped it. Thank you. Over the course of this, <laughs> over the course of this series, Sunnydale has spontaneously manifested docks, a beach, uh, and oh, all yeah. these things. <laughs> And yet, Dracula's castle. Dracula's castle. And yet, the gaping hole that we see in the middle of the desert 
right. there's where's the shoreline? I know. I <laughs> it's a mystery. Really? Yeah. Oh, I know. Anyways. Yeah. Um, just one of those things. Just one of those things. <sighs> I think that's yet, I, that was all okay, my notes. Well, so let's just talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Well, I think the end, um, the final scene to me is what makes this a really great finale is everybody saying to Buffy, what are we going to do now? They, they're always asking Buffy, what are we going to do? They've always been asking her that. And the fact that her response is just, she's not the only slayer anymore. She doesn't yeah. have to be the general. She's exactly. been the general all along. She's been the leader. She doesn't have to do that anymore. And just her smile. That's all she has to say. It's like, yeah. right. It doesn't matter. I, I, <laughs> Again, with the idea of thwarting expectations that the camera zooms in and you're waiting for her to make the final line and her final line is silence. You know, it's, it's just her it's smile. Okay. She, she, she doesn't get the final line of the series, but she does, you know, like, yeah. I, I thought that was so perfect and you're right. She doesn't have to make the decisions for anybody anymore. Oh, so good. Did anybody, Man, maybe this is slipping up into my top 25. I don't know. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Was there ever any complaint that Dawn got the final line of the series? Did anyone I ever? I, I... You can... <laughs> I like, oh, No, I mean, I am I like not. Dawn. I'm not a fan of Dawn, but I'm uh, I also I think maybe that that, that was. It's, it's important too because as as Beth was just saying, the the fact that that all of these people have asked her. And when everyone is like, yeah, what are we gonna do? Yeah, what are we gonna do? It's like watch her, then her friends, and finally her sister. So you see all the elements of her life and it's gotta winnow down to family as the last one who speaks. So I actually think it works that it's Dawn. It's unfortunate that it's Dawn. <laughs> that, was, that was very brave of you to say, Nikki. She had a brother or an uncle or something. <laughs> <laughs> And here's Buffy's brother that we never knew existed. Right. Uh, no, I, 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 I like Dawn. And I, I, I have no problem with her getting the final line of the series yeah. because, like, like you said, the final line really is Buffy's smile. Yeah. Um, it's just such a beautiful moment. Um, there, the one moment that really bothers me. Okay. Awesome. And maybe I'm just thinking about it too much, and I have to ignore the fact that the comic books exist. Um, Do when, that. <laughs> all of this incredibly powerful stuff happens and then in a throwaway line of dialogue giles is like oh there's another one in cleveland I know. not to okay. spoil the moment or whatever he says okay yeah. so i understand that it that in itself is a callback to the wish to the when wish. He's, yeah. trying, he's trying to get the asshole version of buffy to come to sunnydale he's right. like i know there's a lot of demonic activity in cleveland but it, the moment works if we think he's just being sarcastic, if we think he's just joking. The comic books very clearly illustrate that he was not. Oh, and yeah. that is another thing where it's like, if we take him at face value, that yes, he's literally saying there is another Hellmouth in Cleveland. That is maybe the worst example in the whole show of something that we just never, ever heard about at the very <laughs> last moment. Oh yeah, not to undercut the, you know, everything the show has been building toward for seven years, but there's actually another one we've never mentioned. Right. So it's possible I'm overthinking it, but that has always, even, even when I, I was, I was riding much higher on season seven, that always kind of yeah. took me out of it a little bit. 
Well, thank well, you. I agree. And it's it, for me, it's a callback to an alternate, like an alternate universe. It's not even <laughs> supposed to be there, right? Like, right. Why, why are you mentioning it? Are you telling me that you have the only active slayer in the world? Actually, the two active slayers in the world, and you didn't send one to Cleveland, and you knew there's. <laughs> I agree. That's I. I do not like yeah. that line. And I thought, is he joking? If he's joking, it's funny. But the fact they all turn, he's like, well, you know, makes me think he's not. And yeah, I agree with you. Hey, man, I live like an hour from Cleveland. I mean, he's probably right. Oh, God, yeah, I've been to Cleveland. I've always thought so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Arlo, for uh, proving that I'm not the only one who can nitpick and <laughs> be taken out of a moment by a stupid overthinking, a, a throwaway line. So... It happens. Oh, it, it, happens to, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> I am not the best of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Anything else? Anything we didn't cover? Probably, but probably. I, I still <laughs> like it. Okay. It's a it's a good episode. It's a good episode. So let's um, say some words about just the the journey, the entire journey, the series as a whole. What? Who here felt like? Uh, what are we gonna do now <laughs> after this series was over? Where do we go from here? Oh, totally. I was very fortunate in that when I finished the show, I'm like, all right, now I'm gonna go to Best Buy and get the first season of Angel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I was just gonna say we knew we had one more year of Angel, <laughs> or mm -hmm. we thought we had more than one more right. year of Angel, yeah. and so we thought that you know we maybe we'll see some characters over there. And and Angel was was pretty great, you know, at the time. Um, and so we had that. It was only for one more year, and then in my case, uh, two months later, Lost started, and, and then I just kind of yeah. fell down that hole for. So I just went from bing, bang, boom, you know, from shows. So, um, so for me, it was that. But I, I remember just thinking, I am never going to find a show I love like this again. And it ended 17 years ago. And while I wrote five books on Lost and, and have certainly found shows I think are fantastic, I mean, I love Game of Thrones. I love, you know, Breaking Bad. I love so many shows, but I didn't want to hug them like a teddy bear and feel like they shaped who I am and they spoke to me in the way Buffy does. Watching various episodes on, on this rewatch um, with you guys and, and like Paul said, I'm watching them and some of them going, oh, geez, I remember the scene being better. <laughs> you know? Or, oh, Xander never bugged me this much and I can't stand him right now. I don't know why. Yeah. You know? And things like that. And yeah, I'm watching things in a different way. And I still love it with all my heart in a way that I just... I, I love shows, but I don't love them. Like, these were my family members and they were gone. You know, like, that's how I felt about it. I don't know if I'll, I don't think I'll ever find anything like that again. It just yeah. meant so much to me, this show. Absolutely. Yeah. I watched, I watched every episode, I don't know, numerous times because it was oh, yeah. in reruns right. on FX for several years. And I don't know, it's, it, there just hasn't been anything, anything else like it. And I own all the DVDs, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so FX started airing the repeats. Uh, I'm not trying to make anybody feel 
older than they are, but FX started airing the repeats when I was 11 years old. Um, so, and I, and I found the show, I, I know, I know. I found the show in, in those repeats and it just became so important to me. Like it, uh, it complete, I feel like it completely opened the door for, for me in so many ways. You know, it made me, uh, I had always kind of wanted to be a writer, but it really, it really made me want to write and it made me want to create and it uh, inspired me to see the world in different ways. And I, I've, each time that I've gone back to an episode when I've joined Paul for one of these, I've always been a little worried that I, that I will have outgrown it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, but I haven't. And I think to what Nikki was saying, I think there are shows I've seen that are, that you could say are objectively better than Buffy yep. in terms of mm -hmm. production values and even acting. Um, right. But mm -hmm. art isn't, art isn't about objectivity. No. Uh, and so I don't think I will ever have a relationship with a TV show or really any work of art that I've had with Buffy. It, it, it came to me at exactly the right time and it spoke to me in exactly the right way. And I will have a love for it that I will probably never have for another piece of art. Well, very well said, all of you. Um, I'm glad you're on the show. I didn't need to be here. <laughs> um, I will say I've had, I've had a love hate relationship with this series since it first ran, but um, I heavily lean towards the love, even with all the stuff about it that has bothered me. And on this rewatch, I'm glad that I did. So I've cursed your name countless times, Arlo for, for tricking me into doing this <laughs> damn a, podcast. Other, we, we've covered that before. That's a whole other. <laughs> but but ultimately, I'm I'm glad that this happened. I'm glad that I did this project. I'm glad that I did this rewatch. And I'm glad that I had all you super smart, way smarter than me people on the show to talk with it, uh, talk with me about it. Um, because as I said, there have been things that um, I thought that I understood about the show that I saw in a different light this time. Uh, there have been things that I used th that I've spent years thinking I really disliked or outright hated, which um, I came away with a much better feeling about. Like, I still don't just love season six <laughs> but um i was way more positive on season six this time than i have been on any previous rewatch um <laughs> and and like i i would not i wouldn't trade this show for anything i mean i i feel the same way as you guys where um arlo you said it very well that there are things out there that that are objectively better quote unquote than buffy but uh yeah, there's just a very special connection to this show as a whole and some of these characters in particular that is just never, I don't think, is ever going to be matched by anything else. The closest other thing in pop culture to my love of this show and these characters would be the thing right next to them on my shelf, which is Sandman. Um, I, I almost mentioned Sandman, Paul. It's the, on, it's the only thing I can really think of that comes close. And even then, for me, at least, it's not even that close. Yeah. So anyways, I, this has been a fantastic journey with uh, you guys and all of the guests, all 27 people who have been on this series, this ridiculous podcast series with me, who have tolerated me for two and a half years. Um, when was the first episode, Paul? I'm sorry? When was the first episode? March, when did you do March 2018. Wow. 
Yep. Thanks for sticking with it, Paul. It's yeah. Really... It was touch or go there. I, I it, it, it was touch or go. I, uh, I, yeah, Paul, I, I, I guess, I guess now is probably the best time for me to apologize once again for, for roping you into this before my life exploded and, and leaving you holding the, holding the, the buckets of dust. Uh, but, uh, but yes, thank you for sticking it out. Well, thank you for forcing me into it. I, I'm happy that it happens. I'm glad that it happened. I drug my feet on it so many times. It shouldn't have taken 64 episodes should not take two and a half years <laughs> to do, but it, it happens. Well, it's an, it's an artisanal life podcast. intervenes. Yes. Life gets in the way. Oh man. And maybe I, I, at least two years of that two and a half years has been 2020, I think. So. Oh, easy. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Maybe five. <sighs> yeah. Maybe oh. five. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank, um, each and every person who has ever appeared with me on this podcast uh, over the past 64 episodes, two and a half years, but particularly the three of you here tonight, um, even you, Arlo. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> would you guys like to let the listeners at home know how they can stalk you online? Let's start with Nikki. Uh, <laughs> I am mostly on Facebook. I would say that's the main thing that I use. I am on Twitter very rarely, but I do exist over there. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's easier to find me on Facebook, I think. Um, obviously, I'll put links in the show notes, but uh, your, your Bite Me, the unofficial guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, has been an oft-referenced, an oft-referenced oh. uh, <laughs> source material during many of these discussions. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, is there any, are there any other projects right now that you're working on that you want to pimp? Any new books coming out or? Uh, no, I have been mostly, I'm, aside from being a writer, I'm a professional editor. So I oh, okay. have been mostly working in editing. So I have a ton of books that are coming out, but I've edited them not. Okay. So, All right. <laughs> so yeah. Well, that counts too. That's real. Thank you. <laughs> Nikki, thank you. Uh, Elizabeth, what about you? Um, I'm on Twitter at EL Rambo. And um, my chapter on Chosen is in the book uh, Finales, uh, television. Yeah. Uh, from what? Uh, Howdy Doody to Girls, I think. <laughs> Gosh, those are two <laughs> shows. Yeah, it's just oh, is it, chronological. Is it television finales? Is it television this one? Finale, yeah, television. Yeah. yeah, television finales from uh, Howdy Doody to Girls. Yes. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. So, I wrote the last chapter in that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. So You're Nikki's both in, in that there. one, too. All yeah. right. Arlo, what did you write in this? <laughs> <laughs> really? A whole bunch of people are in that book. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Um, all right, Arlo, your turn. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Arlo Likes Movies. Um, I, of course, have for the last decade have been co-hosting the more or less weekly pop culture podcast, Gobbledy Geek with Paul over here. Um, I also, I guess, uh, since maybe we'll have a, a larger audience than we typically do for a Gobbledy Geek episode, I guess I'll, I'll mention that uh, Paul and I were two of the three masterminds behind the short story anthology, The Delhi Counter of Justice. Um, about there you go. Uh, Paul's <laughs> holding up a copy of the book um, about a retired superhero who opens a deli in the world around him. Uh, I edited the book. Uh, we have nine different short stories featuring nine different authors. 
um, a couple of which are poems, actually. Yep. So our book is 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 it's a work of literature. Uh, you can find it on uh, on Amazon. You can get it for the Kindle for only ninety nine cents, or if you want to pony up for the paperback edition, you can do that as well. Um, so yeah, gobbledygeekpodcast.com for our very, very long-running podcast and uh, Delhi Counter of Justice on Amazon. Thank you. I can't remember. I've probably mentioned Delhi Counter of Justice once or twice on this podcast, but not often enough. That is that is literally how we make our living, Arlo. That's where. Well, if, if you want to call it that, I cannot remember the last time every, I got a cent. Every six months we get a check that. for 38 cents or something. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> we so. are still still in the hole uh, as far as <laughs> right. we spent putting that book together. But you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. Totally. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks again, you guys. And um, thank you, everybody at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes, all 64, all 63 previous episodes on the website conswithdead.com. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. That helps us find new listeners. I will tell you in a moment why it is still worth <laughs> subscribing and why we still need new listeners, despite the fact that Buffy is over. Um, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to, out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. And even though Buffy is over... Um, I have been, so I told you that story so I could tell you this story. Um, now that Buffy's done, I'm moving on to Angel, the series, and I made the questionable decision early on that we would cover Buffy all the way through and then start over at the beginning of Angel and cover, cover Angel all the way through. So that's what we're going to do. Um, after an indeterminate, uh, break between shows because I'm still waiting on some new artwork and that kind of stuff uh, before I can start Angel. Um, I will be coming back with Angel. All of my three guests here tonight, as well as every other guest that's been on the show and anybody listening right now, it's open for anybody. They can and will be joining me to discuss <laughs> Angel. Um, I think that to help bridge the gap between Buffy and the Angel episodes, um, I'm going to have Dale back uh, and possibly somebody else, I'm not sure yet, uh, to discuss the Frey comic. Because um, I've been needing to do a reread of that. And uh, I think Dale and I, I think Dale made the mistake of saying, oh, I'd love to come back and talk about Frey. So I'm going to make her. <laughs> um, anyways. Now, Dale. <laughs> anyways, until all of that happens, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. Told us keep your heads down. They told us not to run. They told us we're sorry, you're not the chosen one.